0: Man, I have been looking forward to this talk a ton. We're learning how to live one day at a time with God. uh, One thought per day. And I'll tell you up front, the thought for today is connected. Live connected. You are meant as an individual being to be connected with God, never alone in His power and love. To be connected with other people, look him in the eye, care about them, bond with them. To be connected with your work in your task from one moment to the next, whether it's leisure, volunteering for a paycheck, to be fully invested, engaged in it. Connect with creation, love it, wonder at it, revel in it, because this is what it is to flourish. Now, I'm going to take a longer time. Normally, these are about 10 minutes. I'm going to take a longer time to teach this process out today. I really hope you'll stay tuned for it, and I'd love to hear back from you about it. Because what I'm talking about today is really, really central. This is the um, process by which creation happened. It's the process by which flourishing or shalom can take place. So we'll also learn what happens when life goes wrong. We'll also learn what sin is. I also want to talk about why of the three great worldviews in our day, uh, secularism, that there's only physical matter, Monism, like New Age or Nirvana, that really there's nothing different. Everything will be one one day. And then theism, particularly Christianity. Why I believe Christianity so uniquely mirrors, teaches this process. Why I think it is so much more uh, likely that Christianity is true. So, here we go. We start in Genesis. Genesis. Um, In our day, we often, when we think about creation, wonder why is there something instead of nothing. In the ancient world, they were really interested in how did order come from chaos. So Genesis starts with chaos. In the beginning, there's this lifeless void, this formless chaos. And then God begins to bring order to it, to make it functional. And the way that he does that initially is by some creative separating. He separates light from darkness. He separates the vault of the sky from the earth. He separates the dry land from the seas. separates the sea creatures from the land cruisers. He separates and then he joins together. Uh, It says that he calls the light day. He didn't call it light, which you'd think. He calls it day because there's going to be day and night together now. God's creating time the seasons, this rhythm of work and rest. And then he joins together the vault up above with the rains behind it and the dry land. He's creating weather. He's creating uh, agriculture. And all of this so that there can be a universe in which life can flourish and love can happen. And the word for that is shalom. Separateness, you might know, the Hebrew word for separate is also the word Holy. And people hear that sometimes and they think of it as something stern or austere or forbidding or religious. It's not. It means the thing is the thing that it was supposed to be so that it could function. And that's what good means. Good doesn't just mean God's proud of himself. It means the thing functions, the thing works. So there's chaos and there's separation and there's joining together and there is shalom. And this is supremely true when it comes to human beings. God makes human beings in his own image, so we're meant to be created to him, uh, connected with him. He makes us to be stewards over creation, exercise dominion. That doesn't mean uh, exploit it, but care for it. So there's a connection there. And then we're to be connected with each other while still being separate. And this is expressed so beautifully. God makes the man, and then he takes the old translation as a rib... Uh, You might see in newer translations or in a footnote, the word side, because the Hebrew word often means side like a side of beef. And the idea is not that God took a bone and physically did reconstructive surgery. It is a vivid Hebrew metaphorical way of saying human beings are separate, and yet they have a capacity to be joined together. And there's a deep mystery about this. And the two shall become one flesh. Those beautiful words of Shakespeare. The two so loved that love in twain had the essence but of one. Two distincts, division none. Number, they're in love with slain. Are they two? Or are they one? They're both. For this reason, Genesis says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. The word cleave is fascinating. It can mean to separate like a cleaver, but also to be together, to join together. Um, And Jesus, when he's commenting on this, says, Therefore, what God has joined together, let not human beings put asunder. Sin, Neil says, is the violation of Shalom. It's not arbitrary breaking rules. It's the culpable vandalism of Shalom. But another way of thinking about sin is, to sin is to try to separate what God has joined together or try to join together what God has separated. What's racism? Well, God made all of human beings, uh, every human being, to share in his image. But uh, racist says, I want to try to separate you from your status as an image bearer because of the color of your skin. And, and that kind of separating human beings from their dignity, we do a lot. Or what is stealing? In stealing, I'm going to try to uh, ignore the boundary that ought to be there between what is mine and what is yours, and join what really belongs to you to me. Um, and so I don't want to honor the boundaries. And we see this way back in the initial fall, when the temptation is, if you eat this fruit, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God. In other words, you can blur the distinction between creator. And creature. And so we try, but the result, of course, is a train wreck. I can't play God. You can't play God. And when we try to, the opposite happens. And God comes, where are you, Adam? I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And it ends up in separateness. And we are alienated from God, from creation, from ourselves and from each other. And Jesus will address that. But first, I want you to see how this same pattern just fits in so many different spheres. So, the God who created the universe creates human beings. And a fabulous book by Daniel Siegel, The Developing Mind, talks about how it is that uh, we develop, beginning with undifferentiated chaos, a single cell, you all know how this happens. Mommy and Daddy love each other very much, and a little sperm comes along, and the first couple of cells are undifferentiated. And then throughout the body, but particularly in the brain and the neural system, seagull cells, what happens is um, that there is a process of um, differentiation. Cells become neurons able to do quite unique things, and then linkage, they're joined together, And then that forms uh, an integrated capacity for great complexity in human beings. Just to geek out for a moment, you have 100 billion neurons inside you. And every single neuron has 10,000 connections. God separates and God joins together. Your brain, little old you, has 1,000,000 billion of these connections. Your brain is the most complex structure, artificial or natural on earth. But here's what Siegel says. Integrated, as we have seen, means that these separate differentiated areas, God separates, are maintained their unique features while also becoming linked. It's crucial to keep in mind that integration is not becoming blended or all one, but rather involves the maintenance of differences while facilitating connection. This is truly how the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. That is shalom. When that gets violated, when integration does not happen, Siegel's language, that's chaos. Chaos in the brain is when circuitry that ought to remain separated gets joined together, or rigidity. And that's the opposite. When things get joined, that should not. Not just there. We also experience life as a series of thoughts and emotions, our consciousness that is so vivid to us, but so difficult to describe. One of the great students of this is a man named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. And he's done a ton of research in an area called flow. You might have seen some of these studies, thousands of them now. And what he has discovered is um, that the unaided mind, this is his number one discovery, he writes, the unaided mind tends towards chaos, towards anxiety, discontentment. But he's studied over many decades, beginning with artists and athletes and then others, the nature of our conscious experience. And he says, at our best, we were actually created to experience what he calls flow, and flow means, uh, what happens when I get so engaged in an activity that I experience such a deep sense of absorption in it that I'm still here. And yet I have a kind of oneness with what it is that I'm doing. So I lose self consciousness. I don't lose self and I don't lose consciousness. Those are both enhanced, but I'm not self conscious. This is what he writes following a flow experience the organization of the self is more complex than it had been before complexity is the result of two broad psychological processes anybody want to guess differentiation god separates and integration god joins together differentiation implies a movement towards uniqueness towards separating oneself Integration refers to its opposite, a union with other people, with ideas, and entities beyond the self. A complex self, shalom, flourishing, is one that succeeds in combining these opposite tendencies. So, for example, a little child goes to school and sees the alphabet, and initially it's just chaos, just undifferentiated markings. But then the child learns to separate them, A, B, C, D... Each one is different. Each one makes a certain sound or sounds, and then the child learns to put them together. Cat, dog, and then Shakespeare, Shalom, Charles Dickens, Danielle Steele, my old colleague, Linda Barker, my administrative assistant, used to put Danielle Steele romance novels on the shelves, and when I had pictures taken to go speak at conferences, she would have them behind me as though I just spent all my time reading Danielle Steele novels. That is not Shalom. That is the culpable violation of Shalom. But I digress. Um, now, this same process... Uh, occurs when we look at families. Marie Bowen, and if you've ever read anything about family systems theory, a family is a group of people that have an irrational commitment to one another. And initially, amazingly enough, a child begins as part of its mother's body. And the mom goes through a lot of chaos. And then the child comes out. Come out, baby, and be separate. And it is but initially it is deeply, deeply connected to the mom. And then over time, persons in healthy families must become differentiated, their own people with their own mind and their own will, and yet with the capacity to be emotionally um, connected and committed to other people. And if they get joined together in the wrong way in family systems, that's called being fused or enmeshed. And uh, if they become incapable of being connected, then they are isolated or cut off. But when it works right, it is shalom. It is uh, human flourishing. And that's true at larger and larger uh, levels. So with governments, when you have a government where uh, everything is separate and nobody's connected, that's anarchy when you have a government where conformity is demanded and there's no room for individuals, that's totalitarianism, what we aim at is e pluribus unum, out of the many one, and yet still the many. In arena after arena after arena, chaos, joining together, separating, and then joining together, and then shalom, higher functioning. Now, this is part of why I think Christianity makes so much sense. The idea of Uh, secularism or materialism or naturalism or physicalism is that uh, there is a bunch of stuff out there, but there's nothing that joins it all together. It's just an accidental collection of atoms, as Bertrand Russell said. There is no grand narrative. You are not anything other than just a separate being who will one day cease to be. Uh, With uh, monism, on the other hand, with New Age or forms of Eastern religion... There is the idea that we are headed towards oneness, but you as a self are are not really uh, differentiated in a way that will endure. You are like a glass of water that will one day be poured back into the ocean. And the notion of separateness is an illusion to be overcome. But beginning with Genesis, uh, what Christianity teaches is that personhood is in fact an indivisible unit of creation. And that you are made in the image of God to be connected to God and to other people and to the work that you do as an image bearer and to all of creation. But what has happened is, because we have joined together that which is supposed to be separate and separated that which is meant to be joined together, we have ended up becoming alienated from God, each other, ourselves, and creation. And so... God sent Jesus to reconcile us, to make it possible for us to be again united with God. And Paul would strain to find the language to describe that. He would sometimes talk about... um, Christ being in you, the hope of glory. Or very often talk about you being in Christ. And that's a spatial metaphor to be in, to describe a spiritual reality, to be connected, to be present with, to be loved by. And then... Uh, also to create the right kind of connection among human beings, that Jesus came to divide, to tear down the dividing wall of hostility so that we could become one. Now, there is no longer... Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, all those things that caused us to separate the humanity that was intended to be together, for we are one in Christ Jesus. And Jesus got in a lot of trouble because religious people in His day and still would try to create these artificial barriers. We're the good ones. We're holy because of our devotion or our beliefs, and they're the bad ones. And Jesus, of course, just welcomed everybody. He was joining together again, what God wanted joined together. But the religious people in his day and often in our day thought that was a wrong thing to do, and he got into a lot of trouble for it. We are meant to be one, and yet um, still to be separate. Paul says that we are one body, but many different parts. The eye can't say to the ear, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. This is called diversity training, see? Diversity is very important because every self is made in the image of God. We don't value each other because of our diversity. We value each other because of what we share in common, which is the image of God. And we are moving towards a day where the Shalom will be so great that it's impossible to capture it. And the Bible is filled with images that suggest it. In Romans 5, it says that one day we will all sing to God, Worthy are you. Why will we sing? Well, think about a choir. It's made up of all these different people. And they all have different kinds of voices. They're sopranos. Sopranos always want to stand out. They're always a problem. And altos and tenors and basses. And they listen to each other. And everybody brings their gifts, but also surrenders, submits their gifts to create one beautiful, glorious sound. That's a picture of what Shalom will be like. So, um, that's the big picture. Thank you for staying with us for such a long time, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I believe that this is at the core of what flourishing shalom can look like, what it is that Jesus brought to restore. So as you walk through this day, live connected. Understand, it's a really good thing that you exist. Don't go through life thinking that you have to appease other people or make other people like you or or give up your self-existence. No, it's a real good thing that your self-exists. And as you surrender it to God and bask in God's love from one moment to the next every time you think about it, and seek with each person as a free, powerful, God-loved self to give yourself in love to them and to the task you do, like listening and learning in this moment and to creation all around you, you become an agent of Shalom. I will see you next Monday.